Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for the transgressor's memorial service, remembering those who have transgressed against the great spirit of inclusion and must forever be cast into the abyss of dead names. Let's join Brother Andrew remembering those who we have lost. Our first remembrance is for Leap Day. That confounding surplus 24 hours we add to February every four years, except for years that are divisible by 100, but keeping the extra day in for any year that's divisible by 400. Confused yet? Yeah, that's exactly why it should be done away with. But there are also good justice and equity reasons, too. Consider the poor, low-level salaried worker. He, she, or it might be looking forward to February because the monthly paycheck comes just a little bit faster than normal, but then our society throws an additional day into the work month and for no extra pay at all. And remember that folks still have to pay for all the necessities, such as food, water, electricity, and Starbucks. Employees being productive for no compensation but still owing for their expenses? It's a robber baron's dream come true. Now, obviously, one of the deepest injustices involved in February 29th is the trauma it causes to people born on the unlucky day. Those poor in-between leapsters who are forced to note their actual birthday, missing it at midnight between two real calendar days, getting in effect just a millisecond of celebration, and who have no end of trouble with official forms that often don't even have their birthday as an option, not to mention the loss of 75% of their birthday parties. But there's a far more sinister side to this day of oppression. In case you did not know, NPR helpfully teaches us that Leap Day was used in Ireland and America to suppress women and reinforce traditional gender roles in courtship. That's right, as cartoons and postcards from the early 20th century show, it was thought to be acceptable for women to propose marriage to men only on February 29th every four years. And if the man declined, there were penalties, such as having to buy the lady several pairs of gloves. At first, this might seem like female empowerment, but look a little closer and the women in the images are always shown as tall, desperate, and homely, revealing that this so-called benefit is actually a tool of ridicule to keep women submissive to courtship masculo-normativity in which men control the entire domain of marital offers. Thus, we see this confusing, anti-worker, anti-poor calendar distortion is really just another tool of the patriarchy. Be gone, I say. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend. Second, the movie Mary Poppins. Although many who haven't actually taken the time to study such things might think of the Disney classic as a completely unproblematic foray into sing-along whimsy, it is unfortunately not so innocent. As the British Board of Film Classification just ruled, the blended live-action and animated tale of disobedient youth enchanted into reform by a flying nanny needs to be reclassified from U for Universal to PG for Parental Guidance. As the board explained... The movie contains the word, and I apologize, Hottentots. Used originally by Dutch settlers to refer to the indigenous Khoi Khoi people of South Africa and later to all black people in general. In the movie, the admiral uses the vulgarity, and since no one corrects him, any unsuspecting child might well be exposed to a racist term no one ever uses without the necessary context of disapproval. But of course, Hottentots is only the beginning of the problems with Mary Poppins. Obviously, it's unacceptable for Bert's character to so unapologetically wear soot face, regardless of the fact that he's a chimney sweep. That alone should earn this film at least a level two caution with trigger warnings and prefatory disclaimers. Now, we do recognize some positive elements in Mary Poppins, such as the idea that menial labor should be performed with happiness akin to swallowing some sugar. 
We also obviously delight in the ways Mary challenges that buffoonish representative of the patriarchy, George Banks, and the way she so effortlessly rejects the marital normativity of Western civilization by remaining single. And we do confess to loving the negative portrayal of stingy and uncompassionate bankers as well as the critique of the entire system of fractional reserve banking. But just behold, that horribly positive portrayal of wealthy white privilege in which these children are free to simply fritter away their day with Bert and Mary diving into some random mystical street art and carousing with imaginary creatures while singing nonsensical word songs. No, dear Otherin, words should not be treated so carelessly. And of course, we are very concerned about the safety message being conveyed by anyone so recklessly using an unlicensed umbrella as an airborne conveyance. So yes, this movie is long overdue for a good reevaluation. But despite the change made in the UK, which we support, for now the movie remains dangerously rated G in the United States, but we're working on it. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend. Finally, a note of quiet admiration for our dear friends and fellow vocalites in the White House press room who have yet again tried to improve equity and demarginalize oppressed people by offering up a new word to refer to, and I want to warn you that I know how painful this term can be, illegal immigrants. I'm sorry. In a recent fact sheet published in support of the bipartisan Ukraine southern border funding compromise, the White House explained, quote, the bill also includes $1.4 billion for cities and states who are providing critical services to newcomers and would expedite work permits for people who are in the country and qualify. That's right, the Biden administration is now calling undocumented transnationals newcomers in what can only be described as a brilliant act of terminological compassion. As you all know, the sixth commandment of linguistic reprogramming is thou shalt fight societal bigotry by continuously changing words and terms. Constantly evolving terminology serves a multitude of functions. It keeps our enemies off balance and confused. It offers an easy way to identify our real allies by their willingness to virtue signal the newest and most recently approved words. And we can gradually separate negative connotation and bigotry from disfavored people or topics by using new and unsullied terms for old and baggage-laden ones. Just as President Obama, all hail his name, taught us to refer to transnationally misaligned children as dreamers, a powerfully optimistic reframe, we celebrate the Biden administration for referring to alternatively documented border crossing persons in such a kind and simple way as simply newcomers. These humans of non-traditional residents deserve our help, and if calling them newcomers can facilitate the acceptance of people suffering nationality dysphoria, so much the better. Because obviously, the sooner we can integrate these nationality non-conforming persons into our society, the better off everyone will be. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend. As you depart today, please light an incense stick and say a mantra for the Sullivans who are still reeling from the discovery that two of their distant relatives are openly practicing evangelical Christians. Southern Baptists, no less. You can tell them it's not their fault all you like, but Stu and Mary are feeling very ashamed of the whole incident and have been too afraid to even go to the grocery store since the painful revelation. Refreshments this week are provided by Shiver Me Timbers, the makers of glorious wood pulp-flavored popsicles. Now available in oak, pine, walnut, and mahogany. Put a little wood in your pencil and enjoy a refreshing lumber sickle from Shiver Me Timbers. You can really taste the virtue. And now, brethren, sisterin, and otherin, having been cleansed of these hurtful words, give each other the holy virtue signal and go forth and transgress no more. <laughs>